0: This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast with Robert Vohr and Steve Austin. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vohr. I'm your host, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host Johan Yahab Yingelheimer Schmidt Holy 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 is the lord god almighty what did you just say
2: Johan <laughs> Johalm Johel
1: Johaimer Schmidt is that what you said Well I said John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt but I said it with a uh... oh. I see what you did did there. You didn't laugh, so I feel like it was a failure. I have another one written down, but maybe I'll save it. I don't know. (laughs) you want to do it now? You want to go again?
0: (laughs) I don't care what you do. I liked it.
1: All right, well. New York City. Yeah, you were just in New York. How did that go?
2: It was a great trip. It was a fantastic trip. It was such a good trip. Oh, my gosh. You know what would have made it better? If I was there. I was going to say nothing, but yeah, I mean, that would have been cool if you'd been
1: Oh, you jerk. Uh, For those (laughs) of you that don't know, Steve was just up in New York. Stigma Fighters, our good friend Sarah Fader and Stigma Fighters, had a book reading, right, for the third anthology. You were up there. uh, Sarah was up there. Sarah Schuster was up there, right? Oh,
2: my heart. Yes, it was so good. So many people that... You and I have been riding with and mm-hmm. chatting with and connecting with for really quite a while. Yeah. And um, so to meet those people in person and, you know, just go out and talk about life and uh, it was good. It was really good for my soul. It was a nice little break. I'm yeah. a uh, I'm a super big family man. I'm a very involved dad and husband. But I'm going to tell you what, I do not feel guilty about that little break. It was uh, it was really some good self-care.
1: Well, good. I wish I could have been there. Uh, I was actually at a campus minister's retreat with a bunch of college ministers, which we can talk about in a, a bit. But what else did you do? So it's been two weeks. We took last week off as Memorial Day. So the past two weeks, other than New York, what have you done?
2: Man, I you know what? I can't even think about anything other than New York. It was just, ah, it was so good. Other than New York, um,
1: I got really not much of anything to talk about other than that. Okay. <laughs> No nope. some, some time away from at least this show for a hot second.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've sort of cut back on a lot of stuff. I'm yeah. uh, I'm practicing a little self care right now. I'm not blogging quite as much. I'm mm-hmm. a, about to start a new series on my blog with um, some guest writers, and uh, we're going to talk about the church. So that'll nice. be good. I think it'll be really interesting. That'll be coming up here in the next week. Well, so good. you can uh, keep your eyes out for that.
1: Yeah. What about you? Man, I got to tell you, the last two weeks have been a little crazy, right? It was the end of the semester, both, uh, I guess, just teaching, because we had already hit the end of the semester grad school-wise, and I started my summer classes grad school-wise, but they have been so encouraging. Let me tell you the series of things that has happened over the past two weeks. All uh, encouraging, I think, for this show and for me, and I think for you and just for our listeners. This show, right? the night before we released the last episode we released. So two weeks ago, before that episode even released, that Sunday night, we hit 10,000 downloads. Boom! Which was awesome. Uh, we yes. didn't get to discuss it in that episode because we'd already recorded it. So we released that episode, whatever that one was, two weeks ago. And since then, we have hit 11,000, which Bam. is cool. So in two weeks, but with only one episode being released there, we've gained a 1,000 f- listeners, I guess. Or not listeners, but listens. Which is really cool. You know, I, I think I tweeted out a handful of thank yous to everyone who's been on the show and supports the show and things like that, which is cool, right? That's cool. We like seeing accomplishments. But I think what's cooler than that is in the past few weeks, the number of people in person that have brought up to me that they listen to this show has been like more than the whole rest of the time we've done this thing combined
2: nice Like without
1: any provocation right uh, i think the last time we talked i had been you know at a, a youth a youth pastor's luncheon thing where i talked to some about mental health and one of them reached out to me and said he'd bought a couple of the books i recommended and he was planning a series for the fall for mental health for his kids which is awesome Heck know, so, yeah! so that's working you know we're getting some of the message out there and then we were from memorial day some of our best friends is a, another married couple and i work with the wife and so her parents live they live in a lake house up in lake hartwell and so we went up there with them for memorial day and we're sitting around eating dinner and her mom says to me hey i've been listening to the show i've been learning a lot it's really awesome which i didn't even know she knew that i did
2: that's so which cool. is awesome
1: i said i'd give them a shout out so shout out there to mama and papa t doesn't it
2: blow your mind uh, maybe and maybe it's just me but I don't expect our parents' generation or older to listen to this show. Like, and maybe I should just open my mind, but like, I, I don't. I expect our generation to listen to this show. Maybe a little younger than us. Maybe a little older than us. Yeah. But I don't expect our parents' generation or older to listen. So when those folks listen, I'm like, that's really freaking cool. Because, um, well, I mean, from the. It makes sense, mental illness, mental health, faith, it it affects all of us in some right. way, but but I just, I don't know, They're, I think about the guests that we have on, just our energy, especially mine, you know, um, I <laughs> can see that I could probably push the more mature crowd away, but I think it's so cool um, when we, when the people that we don't expect to listen tune in, that's really awesome. Yeah,
1: and then this past weekend, while you were in New York, actually Brooke and I were at a... Uh, It was a retreat of a bunch of college ministers, you know, kind of get together. And so there's a lot of people there that I know and love and respect. There's people kind of my age that are doing campus ministry, but there's also people a little older, again, the generation of campus ministers before. So like the the campus minister that Brooke and I worked for in Auburn and then he married us. And so people are on that. But so the, the amount of people that brought it up without me saying anything about it, and just saying, hey, I want you to know I've been listening and I've learned a bunch and I'm using that knowledge in the ministry that I'm doing was...
2: That's kind of the goal. I,
1: and so that's what I'm saying is the amount of encouragement, not just for me or for you in putting this show on, but I think sometimes, I know we have a lot of listeners who we see a lot wrong with the church in terms of the way that we're handling mental health, right? And so it seems maybe sometimes like we're we're hating on it, but we're we're... We're doing it from a place of we want it to be better and we want it to, to yes. grow in the way that it can love people. And so all of that wrapped up in the past two weeks, I, I have these moments where I think it's working, right? And that's not just us. All the all the people that we know that are having these conversations, that are sharing the stuff we're doing and the stuff other people are doing, it's working, which is I think, just the most encouraging thing. So I just wanted to throw that out there. If you're listening, if you think, hey, this might be hopeless, how do we change the world, how do we change the church, they're so big, it's working. What we're doing, what you and I, Steve, but also listeners, other people who are involved in this, it's working. You know,
2: It is one conversation at a time. That's how we do it. It's one conversation at a time. It's one – like – this sounds so like sleazy salesman marketing ish but it's one facebook share it's one retweet it's one conversation at a time so when you say man you know what i listened to this and it was really interesting or maybe it's not maybe the entertainment value isn't there but maybe you learned something it was educational or maybe you found something empowering in what one of our guests said you share that stuff on social media you send the link to your youth pastor your pastor or a friend who ever and that ripple starts going out that's how we make this institution better so if you've been hurt if you've been wounded if you've been let down if you say you know what man this this thing we just like we've dropped the ball okay well then share this conversation let's do something about it that's so exciting
1: yeah and even you said it sounds a little salesman. Listen, we don't even care if it's this show. We would love for it to be. We would love for it to for this to go. But listen, I, I've seen people just type a long Facebook post about, hey, I'm a Christian. I've been in the church. Let me tell you about my mental health struggles. And those things always, always, always have double digits, if not triple digits of likes and comments. And hey, thank you for sharing this. So just all of us having this conversation, I think, is so awesome. Yes, sir. Hey, so... This week, we got to talk about grief and loss. Powerful conversation. Absolutely. We brought in Dr. Elizabeth Horn, who does a lot of research around the topics. And then we brought in John Pavlovitz, who a lot of folks are probably familiar with, a very immensely popular blogger, especially in kind of progressive Christian world, but has wrote a lot about losing his dad and what that looked like for him and how he processed through that. So we had awesome awesome conversation with both of these
2: guests. I don't really think there's anything more to say. I want people to hear this one. I want people Absolutely. to like really dive in and and just hear all the man there's just there's just some there's some big time wisdom in this conversation not necessarily from us, but from <laughs> uh, but are these two guests, they just they worked really well together. They I love when and I don't know we say it all the time, but when when we just lob out a question and our guests start bouncing off of each other and Mm -hmm. it just works like yes this is you know from the from the production side of it this is what we want so i think it was a very fruitful helpful conversation
1: definitely well we'll get to it if you like what we're doing here share us on social media drop us a review on itunes support us on patreon all that jazz and we'll get right to the episode we hope you enjoy it Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Steve Austin. Steve, how are you doing today?
2: Is this thing on? (laughs)
1: Hey, buddy. It is. It is. We have two fantastic guests today to talk about grief and loss around those topics. First up, we have John Pavlovitz. Did I say that right?
3: You said it even better than my own mom sometimes. Wow, (laughs)
1: perfect. Nailed it. John is an 18-year ministry veteran. I think it's 19 now, actually, right?
3: Yeah, we're closing in on on 20 years uh, in September, so yeah.
1: He's trying to figure out how to love people well and to live out the red letters of Jesus. Uh, He enjoys songwriting, exercising, cooking, hiking, and eating emotionally, which is an awesome part to have in a bio. A lot of you might know him from his blog. He writes about faith and politics, and Most Relevant Today has written about grief a few times. He also... Uh, is a speaker, and his first full-length book is coming out October sixth, twenty seventeen. It's called "A Bigger Table: Building Messy, Authentic, and Hopeful Spiritual Community." John, how are you doing? Welcome to the show.
3: I'm I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me here. I'm looking forward to our conversation today for sure.
1: Absolutely. Any fun facts about yourself that I didn't mention there that you want to share with us?
3: You covered it well. You know, I've been doing this for twenty years, and 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 just. Um, been learning as I go in all areas of that, and so this is certainly one such area where you're not really prepared for it, and you just kind of uh, get thrown in. So I'm hopeful to, you know, help in any way that I can offer, you know, um, something that I've learned along the way.
1: Absolutely. Well, we're glad to have you. We are Thank also you. joined by Dr. Elizabeth Horn. She is a PhD and an LCPC on the faculty of. Idaho State University. She joined that in the fall of 2006. She's currently an associate professor and the clinical mental health coordinator for the department. Her research interests focus on issues relating to grief and loss. She's published and presented at the state, regional, national, and international levels on those topics and then also interested in current trends related to grief and religious and spiritual issues in counseling as well. Dr. Horn, how are you doing today?
4: I'm good. I, I sound kind of impressive the way you set me up there, so thank yeah. you.
1: <laughs> I try to talk everyone up big when they come on this show, so we sound <laughs> like we've got some legit folks on. Uh, anything you'd like to tell us about yourself before we get started?
4: Uh, I'm not sure. Just I'm excited to be here and, and glad uh, that you're you're discussing this topic. I think it's so important and doesn't get discussed enough, so I'm looking forward to the conversation. All right,
1: well, we can just kind of dive in either one of you, I guess, just a broad, big question to start with. What is grief when we're talking about grief and loss? What are we what are we talking about? Elizabeth, why don't you why don't you begin?
4: Okay, well, um, so really, grief and loss or, or grief is more a process that takes place once um, there's been some type of loss. and And grief is kind of that umbrella term that we use. Um, so uh, you'll also hear, you know, bereavement, which is, is grief specifically through death. Um, you'll hear mourning, which is, is um, uh, the cultural responses that people, the actions that people take following uh, a major loss. But grief in itself is just all of the emotional reactions that take place in this kind of umbrella term uh, following any type of loss, really.
3: Yeah, you know, for a, a non-kind of sort of academic definition, I, I've loved that that someone said that grief is the tax on loving people, and so that you know that's the kind of um, understanding I've had of it, and that sort of damage that comes when you have that that um, subtraction in, happen in your life, and so it, and it looks so different for everyone. There's just it's such an elusive thing, and so that 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 broadness is. Um, is really difficult to get your mind around because it affects everyone so differently. Even when, um, you have one member of a family pass away, every member of that family processes their grief differently. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a powerful and really difficult kind of subject to kind of encompass.
4: John, I'm so glad that you said that because, um, you know, when, when you hear, when folks hear about grief, Lots of times they think of the stages of grief and Kubler-Rod's, Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. And really, we don't conceptualize grief like that anymore. And that it is very unique to each individual. And and I think that those stages of grief are kind of still out in the, within the social context. And it just, that's no longer the way we do it. It is so unique. So I'm glad you bring that up.
3: Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. part of this has been my my grief, which we can talk about later, of losing my dad. That was sort of how I got into when I publicly began processing this on the blog. I hadn't really written on the subject, but I find that all those stages for me, I go through those stages over and over again. So there's this, this re-experiencing um, of all those things. So it's not as though you get to this stage and then move on and everything else gets put away. So it's a constant unpacking of that. So that's also been really kind of important for me to help people understand that you're never finished with any of it.
1: I think that's so interesting there. You brought up, actually in my notes, I have, as as far as questions to ask, stages of grief, real or not. And so you brought them up right there because I do think that is when most people think of grief, they think of kind of a linear process that follows these exact things that they've often heard. But I guess Dr. Horn or both of you are saying that's not really how we conceptualize it any anymore.
4: No, and there's uh, you know the, the the stages, and I guess we should should go ahead and, and name them just so we know what we're talking about. Um, but um, denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. Um, they were originally uh, designed to uh, to talk about anticipatory grief, or really for for folks with terminal illness and. And kubler Ross found that these were things that that uh, that most of her patients, in one way, shape, or form, were experiencing. Um, but honestly, um, the her research, while while it's been seen that oh, this is a fine list of things that that a lot of people may experience, as John's saying, it's not a nice linear kind of progression, and it. It, honestly, there's so much more complexity to what happens when an individual's grieving that those stages we found have really um, they've done some harm in that folks are either trying to put themselves into one of those stages or trying to move through their process more quickly. Um, and a uh, criticism of, of, of my profession, sometimes counselors have wanted to put their clients into those stages as well. and and really the, the, and I, I guess I shouldn't say the trick to grieving because there is no trick. Um, but, but the goal is to help individuals adapt and adapt in a way that is, it's true to their natural experience and expression. And so when you're trying to put some kind of template on what that's supposed to look like, um, we can, can end up stunning someone's adaptation process.
3: Yeah. And I think what, with that template comes an implied sort of timeline. You know, how many weeks is it that you're supposed to be, you know, to you're on to the next thing. And so yeah. there's a tremendous pressure to kind of be ready or be evolved in your process. And it's just, it, it, it's a really dangerous way to help people heal. Um, so it, yeah, for sure.
1: So I think that's a good kind of segue into the next thing there is when we're talking about those stages and, and maybe some of us expecting people like, hey, by now you should be here or by now you should be here. What is, well, I guess a two part question. One, John, I know you've talked a lot about grief with losing your dad. Is that kind of what you experienced from people in your, your church community or the faith community or just people in general? Was them expecting you to move in a, in a specific way, a specific timeline?
3: well i think there people most people tend to approach other people's grief as an event so there is this passing and then there's this service this uh, funeral or this ceremony and they're really t- plugged in around that time and what happens is they sort of expect that that's that's where they're finished and they they have to they move on with sort of their ordinary life and there, there is some closure that comes with those experiences for people who lose someone. But really, the real life stuff begins there. You really begin to see what is life going to look and feel like now. That's when you need people. And so I find in what I do that most people are feeling like now if the dust is settled. I finally have a, an idea of what I'm going to be up against. And people are largely gone. I don't have that flood of people who are who were there initially and really in the beginning you can't handle that anyway you can't process most of those people because your your mind is just swimming and so um i try to help people understand that that's the need it's it's after um that sort of event happens that they are in, that they need you you
2: know this is steve i wrote an article here, um, probably a couple of years ago now about life after my aunt died by suicide. And I was 12 when that happened. I'm about to be 35. And in that article, I I tell that no one tells you that that grief can last a lifetime. That what we're saying, you know, that you expect people to snap out of it. You expect people to move on, but you don't, Nobody warns you about just the ordinary, everyday life things that trigger you back to a memory, good or bad, but man, she's been gone 20 years plus, 20 plus years, and there are still things that make me think back to her and grieve, and I think that's totally normal and okay
4: absolutely and i i love john alluded to this earlier that that there is you know from society or our loved ones this sense that okay so it should be done it should be over or there's this amount of time that you have to move through this process but it is in fact uh, lifelong and it and it the intensity looks different for each individual But you know, it used to be that that folks would say, "Okay, well, you've got to find closure to this," and we still will use that term, but not in the sense of "Okay, it's done, it's over with, put it in a box and put it away somewhere." Um, It's a it's a continual adaptation. Um, and and you still have a bond with the person who's deceased you still have a relationship of sorts albeit a different one I mean obviously it's a very different one because they're not physically present but you still have a relationship with them and um, that changes and evolves over time but it it's no longer this sense of okay you should be done now um, it's it's whatever's coming up for that individual
3: yeah and I, I think about you know, I had my dad for 44 years, which to some was a long time, to some it was not long enough. And obviously for me, it wasn't long enough. But to say that I'm going to take those 44 years and somehow within three or four months deal with that, right? So it's almost like the time that you had with them, you have to give yourself some sort of, you know, um, comparative time to process all that. So there's no way all that stuff that got, into me and all those connections for those forty-four years and all those memories, you can't simply deal with those in a few weeks. It's just not. There's no way to even. You should expect that of anyone or of yourself either.
2: So, what do you think, John? Give us give us a few examples. Let's let's talk the Christianese world, um, which I you know have been steeped in, and you two obviously, but. What are some things that you shouldn't say? What are things that aren't helpful? Give us give us some of those bad examples of, hey, don't do this.
3: I don't know if we have enough time, but, uh, you know, bring it I, on. <laughs> I, I can remember, you know, Elizabeth talks about that, you know, the idea that you should be you know, finished. And what happens in the faith based world is we we layer upon that this sort of expectation that faith should erase guilt or should be able to overcome that so if you just pray enough or if you you know those things but i remember two things one when i when i arrived at the church the 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 day after my dad's funeral um a woman was very um you know um kind and compassionate toward me and and but she said but your dad he was saved right and as if you know, the prayer, some prayer that he prayed was supposed to make everything better for me, right? And I was supposed to accept the fact that, okay, that's fine because he's in a better place and that 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 in a better place or that heaven gained another angel. I mean, these things that we say, people are looking for something to say to help. But they don't realize the the damage that those words can do um because first of all, it doesn't you don't really care if they're going if they're in a better place because your place is much less good than it was. And and also that whole faith thing, I mean, you're you're dealing with a tremendous loss that really transcends what your mind is capable of understanding. So applying some sort of guilt around God or that your faith should have made you deal with this better, that's really dangerous. And so I tell people just to err on this on the side of silence, just to be a presence. So don't say anything about prayer or faith or because that they don't understand what you're dealing with. So I said just I say just be there and and represent the presence of God if that's what you if you're a faith-based person.
2: God's garden got another flower.
3: Right, right. As if and really for me, those kind that kind of language made me resent God more because it made me feel as though God was somehow applying, you know, giving me pain so God needed my father more than I needed my father, which is a ridiculous idea. So I think it's just terrible to even go to that place. It's just it's just sort of a lazy thing that we do because we want to help. We want to help a grieving person feel better.
1: So Dr. Horn, kind of stemming off of that, you had sent some notes over, and one of the things you put was beliefs can be comfort or challenge to adaptation. Is this kind of similar to what you you mean there?
4: Absolutely, and and um. I'm so excited that John is giving those examples because they're exactly what I have experienced and have heard from so many folks is that during this time when you have this earth shattering loss, um, you know, I think that that folks want to rally around that faith and, and see it as a strength and something that will be helpful. But at this point in time, you know, a lot of folks are, are questioning those beliefs. And as he was saying, you can't really just wrap your mind around what's happened and it does it does it can implant that idea that you know God is doing this to you and so um things like you know it's it's God's will and he's in a better place and those kinds of things people say in a very well-meaning way um and in a way that they're able to to believe in that moment and, and that individual may later on, but it is really dangerous because it can further alienate an individual who's suffering um, from, from a support system that could be really beneficial. So in the same way that John's saying, I, I always take my cues from that individual who's grieving. If they're using that kind of language, okay, but that's not something that, at least in my experience, most folks don't find those kinds of things helpful. Most folks are, are in a great deal of pain and and um, are maybe beginning to to look at those, those spiritual and religious beliefs again and, and make sense of it, but that takes a lot of time.
1: I think that's so good. I remember I've lost a couple of friends to suicide, which Steve kind of alluded to there as well, and I remember asking people, trying to process through with people and getting kind of stock answers. And it definitely made me feel worse because then the fact that I couldn't kind of just accept this pithy response somehow made me feel even worse. Like I was, now I was hurting because of the loss, but also now I feel like, hey, I should be able to just believe this thing and move on. It should be totally fine. But now I can't do that either because I'm wrapped up in these emotions. And so it kind of adds on to the pain that people are already feeling.
3: Yeah. And for Christians you know, what What that does is it piles a guilt on that I'm not faithful enough. You know, that for me was what I was going through was, okay, not only am I really, really hurting right now, but but I'm not strong enough in my faith to, to overcome this. And so you either question the whole system or you just question your own capacity to believe. Uh, and so both are equally, you know, uh, problematic when you're already, at really low capacity right you're already in a really um, weakened state you're under a lot of you know there's a trauma there and so to pile on these existential crises it's just um, it's tough
1: so then I guess my my question would be for those of us who are, find ourselves within the Christian faith how do we balance faith and and hanging on to hope without these kind of cheap hopeful things where's the balance there
2: and to tack onto that how do we how do we find god in the dark in grief or is that even
3: the goal elizabeth you want to take that one <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: that's, a, that's a mighty big question yeah. um, you know what i'm thinking about as as you're saying these things is is you know for me if if folks are allowed to have that natural experience and expression, and given the the support and the um, given the message that in whatever way they're doing it is okay for them, um, that I think that type of response from others, um, I think there's there's more God in those types of, of responses where that's that unconditional. Love and support, and allowing people to go through their own personal journey. Um, I, I think that's more helpful, and I, I think that that folks' faith will will come through, um, and it may be a more examined faith, but but it you know it will reemerge. Um, and I'm I'm getting a bit out of my depth here, but it just seems that where a lot of folks that i have uh, again in my own experience and 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 working with clients um where folks tend to move farther away from their faith is when others are trying to impose some type of template to what it's supposed to look like and 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 that if you just have enough faith everything will be fine and that's not really the case so i think giving more of those supportive responses and allowing people to you know, to do it in their own way. And, and maybe that involves some questioning and, and maybe that involves, um, you know, rewriting what what their beliefs are. But but giving them that space and that opportunity and, and having faith in that individual that they will, in fact, um, come back to themselves and 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 that they will be able to adapt in a healthy way moving forward. John, I yeah. think she's talking
2: about making space at the table here. I thought you were supposed to be the preacher. She's like totally doing this thing.
3: Well, you know, I I didn't want <laughs> to hear that perspective because it's so it's so important because I think what um what we do with faith is we treat it the same way as grief, as if there is some point where now we are where we're going to be. And so faith for me, that process is evolving as my grief is evolving. And so I'm not going to ever be finished with that either. And so there's an expectation by some Christians or or pastors to say well, once, you've, once you deal with all this, you're going to feel better about God. You're going to know God more or whatever. Or your faith is going to be deeper. That's not necessarily true. And, and even in my life, you know, there are times, you know, my father passed away really suddenly in his sleep and he it was like totally out of the blue. And so there's there was a moment I wrote about where I think about him laying in the bed, breathing and being alive and then like that and not and how that transition, how paper thin that is. And then I began examining God in the light of that and saying, well, how how does this actually work? And what is this thing actually about? But for me, four years into my grief process with my father, I'm not really feeling as though I understand God more. I have actually more questions. And now a year from now or five years from now, I may have resolved some of those but that's the other part about it is is this faith thing is a mystery too um so to just not expect that there is going to be some magic that happens ever in this process it's just it's an evolution
2: i love that you both empower people to be on their own journey with grief, toward God, in all of this. Uh, Dr. Horn, what you said about the template, that we shouldn't you know, think that there's this template that's going to fit everybody in every situation, every life. We all have such varied experiences and joys and pains. And man, to allow people the space to find hope and help and recover and all that, on their own and just be there to support. I think that's that's what it's all about. It gives space at the table,
3: right, John? Yeah, I mean, you know, again it comes back to you, you know, I tell people your life, you know, it's this once in the history of the planet thing. And so was the life that you're grieving over. And so that relationship has never existed in the history of the world and it never will. And so we all come together and we all are gonna understand the words grief or loss or pain or love very differently and so part of that you know for the for me putting that out there in the blogosphere and getting those responses has been a real blessing because it's allowed me to say wow look at the depth and the the variety of grief and it's all correct it's all beautiful I mean so there's no there's no getting it right or getting it wrong you just this is the way you get it Um so I think we need to let people know that for sure
1: absolutely So, so far we've been talking about grief and loss in terms of losing a loved one or something like that, but I know that there are also, uh, there's grief and loss that can be experienced in other areas of life. Uh, Dr. Horn, what do you have to say about that?
4: Well, really, I think there's um, grief in in every change that takes place in life, and so I don't, I'd hate for listeners to walk away with this (laughs) everything is grief kind of mentality, but but really, with every change that we have, um, there is a sense of loss that goes with it, even even if it's a positive kind of change. So, um, you know, obviously, I think we could see the grief in if someone loses a job or is going through a divorce or other relationship issues. Um, but but sometimes I think an unexpected type of grief might be surrounding a joyous occasion. So, um, we. We don't frequently think of getting married or the birth of a child or um, or getting a new job could, could contain elements of grief. But with those large life changes, um, some aspect of self is different and something that was comfortable at one time is now gone. And so um, within the world of counseling, we're beginning to recognize that just some of those everyday changes that take place um, Bring an element of grief that I don't think many people are. Um, I don't think that they recognize as such. So uh, frequently, we'll have folks come into counseling who go, you know, everything's going so great in my life. I, you know, I've just gotten married. I, I've got a new job. We're buying a home. I don't. I don't understand why I'm feeling depressed. and know everything's going so wonderfully, um, and so I think. At this point, we in in the counseling world uh, have have become more mindful of acknowledging and gosh, there's a lot that comes with that. There's a lot of change all at once and 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 begin to conceptualize that through the lens of grieving. And that has been really helpful for a lot of folks because they it's that again, that pressure to I'm supposed to feel so happy. I'm everything is supposed to be. Wonderful for me now, um, and not not taking the time to acknowledge. And lots of things are different, and that's scary. And and I have lost a part of that normal, or my my normal world um, through these changes.
3: Yeah, and I'll and I'll say, you know, for me, I, I've written a, a lot about the politics uh, uh, happening, you know, the politics of the church, really, you know, the Christian sort of element of of what's happening in our country and writing through about politics from a faith-based lens. But because of that, you see the, what's happening kind of post-election and not to get too political, but there's a tremendous amount of people who are saying, hey, I'm feeling this grief over whether it's a relationship I had with my family before this or a reality I feel about my Country or just a safety that I felt before, so that that change, that shift, when there's sort of like a, a earthquake, a tremor to what you had felt was solid, I think there's a tremendous amount of grief there. So I think you see that a lot in in America right now. Just people saying, "Hey, I'm really not sure. Stuff that I counted on, um, I don't really feel that way anymore." And so I'm I'm helping a lot of people process what is really grief over over that sort of loss.
2: So how does that work? Because I'm totally with you on on grieving the church, on grieving exactly what you just said, this thing that I thought was – my safe place. I thought this place was the, the place I could go and lay down my burdens and be accepted no matter who I am, where I come from. And then I walk in the door and I realize that because of my lifestyle or a life choice, or because I don't look, think, act, dress, worship, vote like you, I'm no longer welcome here. How do I grieve that?
3: Well, well, for me, it's it. the answer has been found in being together with like-hearted people or people who have an affinity for the things that, that you, that you believe. And so it's, it's connecting. It may not be geographically. So for me, social media has been a way to say, I don't even have to be connected to these people in relationship, but just seeing that they exist gives me some sort of solidarity. So, but there are a lot of people of faith who are saying, I don't know how to process all of this stuff. I don't know how to, how to, disconnect faith from politics, uh, from my family. And so you've got all these intertwined things. And so that's a mess that I'm trying to wade through. And as someone who, you know, most pastors aren't trained as, as, as doctor is. And, and so we are just kind of get thrown into sort of the mess of family and we try to discern, Hey, I can handle this, but I'm going to have to know when I need to pass this off to someone who's really, um, this is their expertise, and too many pastors, I think, try to do work that they're not equipped to do. Um, so that's another part of this that's, you know, um, that we have to be cognizant of is when when this is above our uh, our pay grade, so to speak.
2: That's something that we talk about often on on other episodes and, and Robert and I on our own blogs, I, <laughs> just if pastors would know their role, I think it's so important that when somebody shows up for the purposes of this show, somebody shows up with suicidal ideation, somebody's in the dregs of depression and they're not sure they want to live anymore, that it's perfectly okay for a pastor to say, I support you. And the best way for me to support you is by getting you to a mental health professional because I got nothing here. You know, there, There's not a cherry pick scripture that's going to help pull you out of this. and uh, And that's a huge thing.
4: And of course, I'm loving hearing you all talk about this, because that is something that um, within, within counseling, um, we certainly would welcome. And um, having those types of relationship with, with clergy to uh, reach out to mental health professionals and say, OK, so let's have this relationship. And I can you can be my go to when I have someone that maybe I'm feeling like I am a little over my head.
3: Yeah, we had, Elizabeth, developed in my church in Charlotte, developed really good relationships with, you know, mental health professionals, therapists, and counselors, and so we we often were able to do that, and for me, being in sort of this uh, sort of online um, capacity, you know, knowing people like you is really helpful, too, because there, there are people all over, spread out now, and so someone may be writing me from, you know, Arkansas or California or you know Taiwan and I'm trying to figure out how to connect them to somebody on the ground and that's another real pitfall of of doing this work is that I don't have that network of people and I know when people are I can see when people are in need of something more than I have to give them Um, so yeah that's huge.
1: So Dr. Horn let me ask you where is the line or is there a line between somebody comes in who's grieving to a pastor, a youth pastor, a minister, whoever where's the line where they they say hey this is beyond me because you can help people walk through grief but where's the line where you recognize hey I need to be part of a team that includes a a grief counselor or something like that
4: well you know I I, my students would be cringing and laughing at the same time now because my answer is going to be it depends and then they always uh, (laughs) get frustrated with me when I do that um, but I, you know, I think in some regards, I would always encourage, um, folks to, to make that referral to a mental health professional. Um, I, I think, you know, if we're getting down to the, the bare bones of it, um, it's, it's, if, um, a pastor has that feeling of, I'm not sure what else to do, um, or the, uh, or the parishioner is saying, um this just doesn't seem to be working i don't know you know what to do next and and i again i i would always encourage um mental health professionals and, and 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 clergy to to um collaborate um but i think there sometimes is that sense of i'm just not sure what else i can give and and that would be a time to make that referral mm,
1: so good is there any Um, Because I know in the the mental health world and the DSM and stuff, we get into complicated grief versus other types of grief. How much do you buy into that type of language?
4: Well I I thought you might ask me that question and I my my answer changes frequently. I mean I I don't I see all grief as being complicated. Um I I love what John said earlier about you know there's never been this relationship that you've had before um and so it's going every it, it's all going to be complicated. And I I really view grief as being um again such a natural process um, that can look so messy and that is so messy and is um, so complicated just on its own that I I, that label of complicated grief I I certainly acknowledge that there are um, any kinds of situations that you can you can look at and go Oh gosh, no that that would complicate that, and oh that would complicate that, and and so I I acknowledge that there are some messier situations than others, but at the same time, uh, all grief is complicated, and and how do you how do you measure one person's devastation against another? So I I, I don't I don't like to pathologize grief, um, and I don't like to try and put some label to where I think it. You may be minimizing someone else's experience. So um, for me, on principle, I'm kind of against that label. And then at the same time, I do acknowledge that there are some situations that are potentially extraordinary, and there are contexts that would add some some additional complications. So how's that for a wishy-washy answer?
1: Uh, no. It was
4: perfect. It was perfect.
3: Well, you know, and I will, I'll add to that, uh, you know, when I remember when I talked to my mom and she called me right after the, you know, I spoke to her moments after we found out what happened to my father. And the, one of the first things she said was he had a beautiful death and she said, because he, you know, passed away suddenly in his sleep and all that. And, and yes, that was true, but there was a suddenness to that, that didn't allow me to deal with some things that I would have loved to have said. Right. And, but then is it any better to watch someone deteriorate in a hospital? You get to say those words, but then you see them in this state. And so the point of all that is there's never a good way to lose someone. And there's never, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how long they've lived. So we try to look at all these objective things and say, okay, this should be easier grief process than this. And that's just not how it works. And so, again, just to to allow that person who's going through it to determine what it, how bad it is, how difficult it is, how much trauma they feel
1: absolutely are there any topics points that i haven't brought up yet that either of you think are really important to hit
4: that's a good question <laughs> i think uh I, I think i'd just like to chime in a little bit on on what y'all were talking about earlier in terms of of the political you know state of of the nation and and within the church and that kind of thing i um I, Robert, I think you had asked, you know, what can we do to help those individuals? And um, I, I think we've made this point um, throughout, but I, one of the things that I just hope that, that um, has become clear is um, normalizing individuals, processes and, and, you know, folks feel like they're going crazy a lot of the times and saying, hey, no, this is a normal, natural process. You're you're not crazy. You're not um, you're not um, being unreasonable. The, you know all of these kinds of things that that these are messages that people get from others, and so sometimes just being again that supportive individual who's there to listen and who's there to um, remain non-judgmental and and. And just, just, I almost said walking with them through their grief, but that's one of those platitudes that I hate, so I'm not going to say that. Yeah. Uh, but but just, just normalizing what's happening for them can be a real comfort for a lot of folks.
3: Mm. Yeah, I'd say for me to help people, two things. One, to remind people that those people who are grieving the, again, being with them through the initial trauma, but really to help remind them to be there in the in the months and the years following because they people are you're never gonna get over this and you're never gonna, as we said be done and you may have a, a season where you're four years out and you're really it's you're in a valley and you're getting slammed and people always say, you know let me know if you need, you need anything. Well, we're not going to do that. Most people who are grieving feel badly enough that they're grieving and they don't want to pile it on someone else. So it's rare that someone's going to go, hey, I want to call you up and talk to you about my grief. Um, people have to be proactively involved in the lives of people who have gone through loss. And so to say, I'm not going to decide to wait for you to tell me that you need something. I'm going I'm to take the initiative and move toward you. So to, to do that, that's, that's really huge for me.
1: So good. Such good stuff. We want to thank you both for being here with us today. If you want to connect with John, you can find him on social media at John Pavlovitz or at johnpavlovitz.com. Or you can pre-order his book, A Bigger Table, on Amazon. That link will be in the show notes. Dr. Horn, is there anywhere online that folks can connect with you?
4: You know, I don't really have a presence in social media, but um, my email address is um, d-o-u-g, as in Doug, e-l-i-z at isu.edu and i'd be happy to um, get any emails.
3: Perfect. You'll well, be getting one from me, so yeah, you there
1: can you
4: come. I will look forward to that. I was uh, I didn't have time to write down your info. So yeah, that'd be great. Great.
1: If you want to connect with Steve, you can find him on social media at i am Steve austin or at i am Steve austin.com. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on social media at robert vor or at robert-vor.com. Any closing words from either of our guests today?
3: Uh just say whatever way you're grieving, you're doing it right. And just to uh, rely on other people to, um, to carry you uh, when they can.
4: I would echo that.
2: I love you it. Thank echo. you folks so much Absolutely. for being here. Absolutely.
1: Thank you guys. Thank
4: you. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com. Final note, if you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.